It's happy Father's Day, right? Yeah, happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there. Thank you for that. Um, We have been um, trying to bring ourselves to a point of sharing our faith with people during the week as we go through. And uh, so I just want to ask you before we get started, you know, what's God doing you know, in you right now, what has he done in you this week? What, uh, um, how's he shown up and what have you experienced? Well, he showed up at vacation Bible school. He showed up at vacation Bible school. Wonderful Bible school. school. Yeah. Crazy. It was a crazy vacation Bible school. Yeah. Mr. Roy. I had a, experienced this past week with my grandson, Cody, who is, as of yesterday, was 28 years old. Wow. And that was quick. That was quick. It was fast. But he's not really walking with the Lord, and I've shared, and he knows my testimony. He stays there with me and stuff. And through this class, you were you know, expressing how we need to share our faith and talk. And I was convicted about that, but still it didn't seem, you know, I just needed a moment. Cody is basically depressed a lot of his life, you know, just for for whatever and stuff. And he's got a long ways to go, you know, to kind of start enjoying himself, I believe. But anyway, and this never seemed to be the right time. It just never seemed to be. And it was always on my heart. And, and, and I'm, I guess it was like Jim said, the devil can beat you up about things that you that you don't need to have to be bit, beat up about. But anyway, long story short, um, he he was kind of in a talkative mood. And so we were talking about certain situations and circumstances going on. And then finally, he came up uh, towards the end of it and he says, well, do you think that, you know, God just plays favorites when people are born into a, a a nice home and nice family, and then others aren't born into nice home and nice people and, and stuff like that. You know, you think you know how does he do all of that? You know, but how how does that you know work itself out? And so that was the that was a situation that the Holy Spirit had to allow me to express to him. And, you know, and basically what I said was, God only cares 5% about what happens on this earth. And I said, you know, and if people think that, that God is here just to make us happy right here, I said, they got, a, got another thought coming. I said, he looks at 95% about where, he, where are we going in eternity? And then that led me to, be able to talk about, you know, you need to have a walk with the Lord. You need to repent, you know, and stuff. And so when the Holy Spirit does it, and when you are waiting on his time, it will be natural. It seems to be easy, and you just go right into it. And and during that time, I just feel like that person, the Holy Spirit, has, has softened and, and made this is the appointed time for him to hear that word. And so we had that. And so I just praise the Lord. Praise God. That's great. 
That's great. Yeah. And um, it takes a lot of uh, responsibility off of us when we realize that um, we are, um, we don't have to move all this. We just has to be attentive to when to, to act and obedient to do. Um, and then, and like you said, you couldn't prepare his heart to bring up that question. Um, but some God had done stuff in his life along the way that made plowed that field. So he's ready for someone to come along and drop those seeds of truth into his life. And then um, somebody else had to come along and water them and, and pull the weeds out, the bad thoughts and the incorrect thinking with that. And then, uh, and one day there'll be a harvest. I, I do believe um, I have a, a friend that's dying of cancer and he is fighting. He, he said a year ago, I'm going to fight this if I can. He's already been fighting for five years. He's three years past whatever they gave him. Then he gave him a new date. He's five months past that. And it occurred to me, the same as my own father, that he is hanging on for his family. He wants them to know Jesus like he knows Jesus. And he has come into a relationship over the last 10 years. We've been meeting in my Bible study for 10 years. He was the first guy, one of the first guys in it, and he's never missed. We're all football buddies. But his relationship with Jesus has changed. He was grew up North Carolina Baptist. He knew Jesus. He knew about salvation, but they they walked away. He and his wife they never, they weren't really. But now he is, and he's worried. I think for them, and I am praying about the right opportunity to share with them. Your dad is waiting to hear from you, and then he's going to race to heaven. Right now he's fighting because he thinks maybe by the way he shows in his fight, the grace he shows in this fight that you will come and, and but you guys are not a family that talked about this stuff like we weren't. And my dad was the same way. And he, he actually said it in words. He said, I wasn't sure about your mom because she didn't fit the Baptist, you know, mold of getting saved. And I said, Dad, Mom's saved. You don't have to worry about that. I've talked to her bunches of times. But he wasn't sure. And when then she died, he had nothing to fight anymore. There was no hanging on for her, and he didn't have to hang on for us. And he said, I'm ready now. Four months earlier, he said, I'm fighting. I'm going I'm to. Then he said, I'm ready now. I'm, I'm going to go see her quickly now. And I think that may be what's happening with him. That even if they would just say, Dad, could you could you share with us about Jesus? What's what's happened to you in the last ten? If they asked him that, he'd be able to share, and they would be able to say they don't believe like he believed. Like everybody in this church, you know, we're a little crazy, and we wish everybody. Have what we have, don't we? Yes. Don't we wish everybody had what we have? But everybody doesn't have what we have. But we want them to have it. But they probably will not have it. But that doesn't mean they're not saved. It's just, you know, when we sing, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. We're we're going, yeah. And they're going, I've got the joy, 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 joy. And you're going, they don't have it. But that doesn't mean they don't have Jesus. 
their relationships in a different place. But if I knew that I knew that I knew and see the, their, their life is making me doubt. But if they said, I believe in Jesus, I, I do. But you've not learned how to trust him. Well, all of us, and I've gone too long now. At the end, that's all you want. That's all you want for your kids, isn't it? Oh, yeah. To know that they know and that they're coming to see you soon. That's all. Because 95% of this ain't on this world. Right. Yeah. I just want to know you're coming. And, and if I know you're coming, I'm ready to go there too. And I'll, I'll just wait for you. You like that? Yeah. How much joy does that give the person dying? And how much peace? We always talk about the peace for those that are left because we know he went to heaven. But how much peace for them as they approach that day, knowing that we're right behind you. We're, we're right behind you. Mm-hmm. Got a couple of kids to raise, but, but we're right behind you. So if you think of it in terms of like this, um, so think of your salvation like marriage, right? So those of you who are married, none of us have the same marriage, right? We can always think of someone who has a marriage that's better than ours and a marriage that's worse than ours, where there's good communication, poor communication, bad relationship, you know, comparison, strife, love and harmony. And so that's how I think we should look at our salvation like that, is that, that in the end, we would all desire that everyone have a good marriage, right? A healthy marriage with open communication and lots of love and compassion in there and looking out for each other and submitting to one another, all the things that God asks us to do to have a good, healthy marriage. Your salvation is like that too. It doesn't mean because they got a bad marriage, you're not married, right? So just because you've got a bad sanctification experience doesn't mean you're not saved. It just means you're not living up to where you could be. That's that 95% voice. That, the 95%. The sanctification process. That, that, and, and you know what? Myanmar, Guatemala, some people live a whole life that would not compare to what we would think is, they didn't get the fun stuff. But sometimes you go there in their poverty. They're happy. A joy. Yeah. A joy. And we're going, but you don't have a swimming pool. They go, what? <laughs> we got a river. Yeah. It's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, easier than, than a rich man to go to heavens. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know exactly what you're saying. We would visit, every time we visited Myanmar on mission trips, there was a uh, joy that you could see inside the poverty of the people there. And it was uh, phenomenal. And it, it does make you look at our materialistic societies and how we are missing the boat on the real values and significance and importance of things in life. Yeah, I were watching this video of like these millionaires touring their yachts and stuff because I don't even know. And um, it's interesting that basically every single one of them got done with their interview about like, how did you build this empire? All this stuff. And every one of them was like, Money really isn't going to satisfy you. I mean, and they're sitting on this like $23 million boat with, you know, all their staff. And but, you know, I, I, I can, I can uh, look at a big, beautiful boat like that and just say, awesome. 
engineering and the awesomeness that this room, we didn't, we didn't need this room, but it's, it's beautiful in its, in its creativity of how we came up. I'm looking at this dumb coffee cup going, somebody made this thing. This is, this is like pretty cool stuff. I mean, I could be drinking like this, trying to be holy. Why wouldn't I drink out of a coffee cup? Why wouldn't I drink out of my favorite coffee cup? Why wouldn't I try and improve my irrigation system at my house? Why wouldn't I try? This is just the 95. If I lose it, it's okay. But, but why wouldn't I? I've always said, said this. Is it a sin to want air conditioning? No. <laughs> that, is, that is right. And you can ask every person in the heat. And they will say, I just want some air conditioning. It's a luxury kind of. It is, but it's not a sin to want it. And she's saying that's a luxury kind of because I don't have air conditioning in the car. Right. Good. Yeah. Now we do. Now the one she's driving today, but. Yeah, it's really bad. Without AC in the summer, I couldn't even make it. I would be like so upset all the time. She that's that's what people used to say. I had a little Chevy Love truck, my very first one. I think I sold it to <laughs> Timothy, but um, it didn't have air conditioning for 13 years. It was black too. Nice and warm. Work every day in that little truck, and I had a um, I had a moment this morning when I got up early and. Uh, was titivating and doing what I do in the mornings, and uh, I made uh, I made two eggs. And while I was watching it cook, and I was standing there, I thought, as great and wonderful as King David was, mm-hmm. awesome dude, part mm-hmm. after the Lord, he never slept in an air conditioning, never was able to go to the refrigerator and grab a couple of eggs, was never able to turn the stove on and cook him little things. Hot uh, running water. And, he, running water. and I said, running water, running the bathroom facilities, and I said, Lord, you have so blessed me. Thank you, Lord. It's yeah. For a time as this, I, I always try to be really, really great. But I was thinking about that. I'm living a life greater in, in, in physical comfort than King David ever did. And, and stuff. you know, I'm thinking of Cody because Cody, even though he's comparing maybe what everybody else has and yes, what he's he got or whatever, to say, you know, you probably have never thought about it, but I could take you to some places where you have more than everybody. Right. So yeah. if you don't have Jesus, maybe, I, mean, I wouldn't say that, but if you said, I don't know. Say, but you're picked. In your in that worldview, you're more blessed than everybody else. You think God maybe picked this person to be blessed, but you're more blessed in things, but not in spirit. everything you say is true, and I understand it. But I have come to one big long conclusion in my life, and you cannot reason right. unreasonably. No, right. <laughs> no, you're wrong. How long did it take you to learn that? <laughs> I'm, let's see, I'm 74 and a half, so about 73 years. Just a kid. Let's talk about a kid today in Judges chapter 13. And I want us to um, look at a couple of concepts 
in um, in our uh, lesson today. And I want us to sort of dig into this particular idea. And we started last week. Uh, it's been showing up over and over again, and it shows up, you know, in a big way in today's uh, story in chapter 13. Again, we're, we're looking at the birth of Samson in Judges 13. That's all right. I got Judges 15 here. Is it 13? I think it's Judges 13. It's the birth. It's the one you mailed out on the 17th. <clears throat> went backwards. Yeah, so, um, so we still are in chapter 13. We never, we never actually did the birth of Samson. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we did. So and there's, there's one, there's one chapter, the conclusion of his life, uh, Samson and Delilah and his death. We'll get into that later. I wanted us to circle back uh, to the beginning before we kill him off. And see how it all started. And so that's what we've been doing for the past couple of weeks. So <clears throat> I want to think about this idea. When you look at that story, and we'll read through it here in a moment. There's a, there's a, there's a word that applies to this story. It's a word, uh, hagios. H-A-I-G-O-S. It's a Greek word. And it, it means holy and set apart dedicated for something particular, a particular act of service. So um, when we look at the communion chalice on a Sunday morning, that vessel is set aside for a particular purpose. We don't bring it out into the fellowship hall on a, on a, on a Sunday when we're having a big banquet and everybody's here. We just pour a sweet tea in it and we just go around serving people as like a carafe. We've dedicated that chalice for use in a particular aspect of our worship, communion. It, it holds the wine, the blood of Christ. So it's set apart for that. Now, that word being set apart and dedicated to a holy special purpose, is, it also applies to, um, to the people we're studying right now, specifically Samson. So remember, Samson is being brought into existence. Uh, the existence and his arrival is announced by the angel of the Lord to his mom alone in the field. And uh, the previous two judges had these huge families. And so this is the unlikely one being used for the amazing purposes of God. Now, we are the same way. We also are set apart. Um, when you think about um, what Peter says in 1 Peter 2.9, he says this, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. So you are hagios. You are set apart because Ephesians 2.89 tells us we are saved by grace, not of works. So no man can brag about it. And then in verse 10, you are the workmanship of God, the poema of God, the master work of God. And um, it's a little beyond masterpiece. So if you think about um, Michelangelo, you know, great uh, artists of the Renaissance. And he takes that block of marble and he chisels out the statue of David. And it's this beautiful statue, right? But now let's go beyond that. Let's, that's a master work. Now a masterpiece is completely different. Let's go to the Sistine Chapel at the Vatican, where the entire ceiling is not just one particular painting 
which would be a masterpiece in itself, but they're all connected and woven together and telling this beautiful, elaborate story of God. And that is a master work that is beyond a masterpiece. And God says that that's what you are. That's what your life is. That's what he has saved you for. He's not just saved you to pluck you from the fires of hell. He saved you to pluck you from the fires of hell to redeem you and change your life. But he saved you for a purpose set apart, dedicated, listening for the Holy Spirit. And then when you hear those promptings to be obedient, to act, and to speak, to pray, to help, to do. Now, these verses continue, um, Deuteronomy 14, 2, but you have been set apart as a holy to the Lord your God. Even in the book of Revelation 18, 4, it says this, I heard another voice from heaven say, come out of her, my people, so that you will not share her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. Psalm 4, 3 is one of the best ones. Um, the Lord set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will answer um, when I call to him. And then uh, the Apostle John tells us in 1 John 4, 4 through 5, but you belong to God. That's, that's, you belong to God. You don't belong to you. You belong to God. My dear children, you have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Those people belong to this world, so they speak from the world's viewpoint and the world listens to them. You're different. You're set apart. These verses go on. I'm, I'm probably going to stop right there. I'll... Yeah, so they go on and on and on. And, and so it's, it's not just like a New Testament or an Old Testament concept. It's all through scripture that this is set apart. So what I want to do is I want to go particularly into our Judges passage, um, chapter 13. And I want us to um, look at this story again and then I want to draw out today um, something we may not have drawn out before, but I want to look at what's Papa Manoah doing? How's daddy reacting on Father's Day? All right. Now let's try and learn some lessons from what he's doing today. Okay. So if, uh, if who, who among us can read? Is there anyone who can read among us? Mr. Roy, you know how to read? Or Harold can read. I'm illiterate. So I was born that way, though. Um, Judges 13, you want to let's do um, chapter one, I mean, verse one, excuse me, through um, through verse uh, 10. How about let's do the first 10 verses? Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the, from the clan of Danites, had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean, because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, set apart to God from birth, and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman went to her husband and told him, a man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God, very awesome. I didn't ask him where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name. But he said to me, you will, re- 
you will conceive and give birth to a son. Now then, drink no wine or other fermented drink, and do not eat anything unclean, because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from birth until the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, O Lord, I beg you, let the man of God who sent to us come again to teach us how to bring the boy who is to be born. God heard Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman while she was out in the field, but her husband Manoah was not with her. The woman hurried to tell her husband, he's here, the man who appeared to me the other day. Very good. That's 10. <laughs> That's 10. You can read on, you can read on to, um, let's, get, let's, let's keep on going a little bit further. Let's do, um, um, well, we'll stop right there for now. We'll stop right there. Just keep going until Matthew's comfortable. Oh, okay, keep going. That's fine. Manoah got up and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said, are you the one who talked to my wife? I am, he said. So Manoah asked him, when your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule for the boy's life and work? Hold it right there. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Roy. Okay. So I want to I want to compare the story to some stories you know. All right. Let's compare this story to the story of John the Baptist, right? So um or, or, or let's let's let's, let's, no, let's go to Mary. Let's go to Mary. Because John the Baptist had a special thing. Um the 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 angel appears to John the Baptist and um in the Holy of Holies, and uh, I'm Gabriel, you're gonna have a baby. Your your wife can't have babies, but a special baby's come. Zachariah. Yeah. What's it? John the Baptist is the baby that's born, is the son of Zachariah. He appears to Zachariah in the Holy of Holies at, on the Day of Atonement. Yes. And he and he is announced. And what does Zachariah do? He does not believe. He does not embrace the good news of Papa's going to be a daddy, right? He does not embrace that good news. So, um, and he suffers for it, right? He's made dumb. He can't speak, uh, completely interrupts everything he's supposed to be doing at the temple and throws his life into a tailspin, right? So what happens with Papa Noah though? Manoah, how does Manoah react to the news? Exactly. He accepts the word of the Lord. And so this is to me an example of a good father, a good father who hears the voice of his wife, who's heard from God, and he doesn't say, okay, crazy lady, get back in the field and finish hoeing that row of, of beans I told you to hoe, and don't be making up stuff and coming out the field till it's done. No, he didn't do that, did he? No, he didn't. No, he, he embraced that news, right? And, the, and that is a sign of a good father, right? He's accepting the word of the Lord, and then he's going to follow it up. And we see here in, in verse, um, he's like, well, I need to know what's going on. So he didn't just reject the news. He embraced the news, but then he went a little further than just saying, I believe. He said, I want more. So what does he do? He turns and he prays to the Lord and says, please send this messenger back to us so we can get some more information on exactly what we're supposed to be doing here. He's, I don't want to foul this up. Okay. Can we, can I get a little more detail here? Cause I want to make sure I get this right. Cause he, he's taking seriously the obligations of God to be the father rule the family, to, to raise up this child, to be a deliverer for the people of God. And he takes it very seriously. He's needing some more information. So he's going back to God and he's seeking more, which is great. It's a good example for us. Yes, Mary. Not just a good husband, um, a father, but he was a good husband. Yes. Extremely respecting her 
what she was saying and believing her. Yes. Yeah, he she probably had about 20 years training him really well. <laughs> he, he followed right along where he was supposed to go. Well, think about the women at the uh, tomb. Yes. <clears throat> they went running. Yes. The good example, the women at the tomb, they took the news and, and ran with it, right? And then, you know, sadly, some men doubted their story um, that they were, they were delivering. So, um, so in verse 12, it is when your words come true. So he's not saying if your words come true. So this is a complete acceptance of, of the news that's been given to his wife. He's completely embracing it. He's saying that, um, that the impossible that is before us will be overcome and it will, it will happen. All right. And then he says, what kind of rules should we govern the boy by? And then um, in verse 13, he begins to reiterate the original stuff, the hagias, the set apart, right? Because if we go back up to the original instructions uh, given um, in verse 6, or excuse me, in verse th- 4, so be careful. You must not drink wine or any alcoholic drink or eat any forbidden food. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son. His hair must never be cut. He'll be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. So there is this prescription of what you should be doing, um, this given, these rules you should be following. And, and then they're reiterated to him directly. Be sure your wife follows the instructions I gave her. She must not eat grapes or raisins, drink wine or any alcoholic drink or eat any forbidden food. And then Manoah continues and he says, please, please just stay here. Just stay and wait until... We can prepare a young goat for you to eat. So he's wanting to honor this angelic messenger and, um, and do a very traditional thing. This is what, um, remember when the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses and Sarah and the two angels and the Abraham said, whoa, 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 don't, don't run us. Don't go to Sodom so quickly. Let's, let's, let's uh, sit down. Let's have a meal. And he prepared the young goat, right? And he did all the stuff and made that feast of, uh, of, of honor for this messenger. He's doing that here. And then there's interesting, the response, I will stay. The angel of the Lord replied, but I will not eat anything. However, you may prepare a burnt offering as a sacrifice to the Lord. Manoah didn't realize it was the angel of the Lord. And when Manoah asked the angel of the Lord, what is your name? That's very, very important for us to focus in on. What is your name? Because we need to truly identify who is interacting here. How is this happening? What's going on? So the first thing that should stand out for us is the, the sacrifice and the offering that's going on. So we know that, um, that God strictly forbids. And in the book of Revelation, we see it when John is standing before angels and he bows down in their awesome presence, thinking he should be worshiping them. And the angel says, nope, 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 nope. I'm, I'm just a servant of the Lord, just like you. Don't do that. Get up. I can't take your worship. Only God takes your worship. So there's interesting, there's an alignment here with that idea that, that if this is God, is, is my contention, that this is the pre-incarnate Christ appearing to this husband and wife, that that is why he's able to receive this worship. Now we continue on with the story. He says, what is your name? When the words come true, I want to be able to give honor to you. Um, I want to prepare a burnt offering 
as a sacrifice to the Lord. So what is your name? For when all this comes true, I want to honor you. And in verse 18, you have this interesting question. Why do you ask my name? And the angel of the Lord replied to him, it is too wonderful for you to understand. Now, what does your version say, Mr. Roy? In verse 18. It is beyond understanding. Beyond understanding. Who can know the mind of God? Who can know the mind of God? Job did. Job, Job, Job got a smackdown on that one, didn't he? He thought he did, but he did not. He did not know. So there's a like the King James version. You it does it like this. You have it there, Glenn. What's it say? God, it's, it's understanding. I have uh, ESV or something. You don't understand it. The Easy Bible says he replied that why ask the name? You could not understand it. Another, uh, another version has the angel Lord answer him, Why do you ask my name? It's wondrous. I'm yep. seeing it as secret. Seeing it as secret. So the King James uh, used this word, um, seeing it as wonderful. And if you think about Isaiah's prophecy about a son is given, a child is born, his name shall be wonderful. That seems to be the general translation of. Yeah, so I I think that he is revealing who he is, and then I think it shows up a little further in here. And then Manoah took the young goat in verse 19 and the grain offering and offered him on the rock as a sacrifice to the Lord. So Manoah is setting an example of the good father because he's engaging in worship, which is what we should be doing. We talked this morning, our our pre-class discussion was about family in particular, in our desire to raise up godly families and help draw them into the kingdom and, and instill to them good Christian living so that we can, when we exit this world, have confidence in their faith um, and know they'll be following along behind us. So this is one thing he's doing. He's setting a great example because he's, he's, he's asking more questions about God. He's praying to God and seeking more information. And now he's engaging in worship and honoring God. And then he starts to sacrifice. And this is where it gets Really interesting to me. In verse 19, the Manoah took the young goat and the grain offering. So these are two different offerings. Offered them on the rock as a sacrifice to the Lord. And as Manoah and his wife watched, the Lord did an amazing thing. L-O-R-D, capitalized, Elohim. Verse 20, as the flames from the altar shot up towards the sky, the angel of the Lord ascended in the fire. Now, I want to draw your mind back to a couple of images. The tent of meeting, the tabernacle in the wilderness. Whenever they set it up in the center of the camp of the Israelites, there was a column, a pillar of fire that would appear above that when God's presence was there. When they were brought out of Egypt, there was a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night that would give them light and guide them. And in the case of the Egyptians approaching them at the, at the river, when they're trying to get across the, the Red Sea, protected them and held back the enemies so they couldn't get to them. All right, so that's one image I want you to see. Now, the next image is kind of obvious. There's this bodily form of a man ascending into the sky. Messiah. Messiah at Ascension Sunday, right? 
Christ outside Jerusalem. Y'all tarry here till the spirit comes. I'm going back to the father. Why do y'all stay here gazing into heaven? Do you know this Jesus is gone? He's going to come back the same way he left. Go be obedient. Go inside the city and wait for it. So there's these, there's these two dual images we're seeing here. And then we have the reality sets in for Manoah. So then Manoah gets to this point of absolute certainty with what's going on and with whom he is dealing. So then as the flames of the altar shot up towards the sky in verse 20, and the angel of the Lord ascended into the fire, when Manoah and his wife saw this, they realized who they were dealing with. And they fell with their faces to the ground. He takes a posture of worship and honor to God, realizing who he is and how he should be behaving. In 21, the angel did not appear again to Manoah and his wife. And Manoah finally realized it was the angel of the Lord. And he said to his wife, we will certainly die, for we have seen God. And I think that those words bring without hesitation or equivocation the identity of this angelic messenger. It wasn't an angel. It was God himself in the form of a man. We would say the preexistent Christ, the one from eternity, past and present and future, showing up and interacting in their lives. The angel and then his wife. Now, this is good news. So he, he immediately realized what's just happened. And he knows that people can't see God because you will die. Because Moses happened to him. God said, you can't do it. It'll, it'll, it's too much. You'll just be obliterated. It won't work. And then Elijah, the Elijah happens to him the same way. Yeah, it ain't going to work. You, you, can, you can see the sunset of me as I walk away from you. But that's the closest you can get to my glory. And you have the transfiguration of Christ where the, the mountaintop is flooded with light and they're overwhelmed and Moses and Elijah are there again. I was thinking about Elijah. Mm-hmm. Did you tell me this or someone else told me this? But Elijah means my God is Yahweh. And Muslims actually believe that Elijah was a prophet from Allah. But like, that would be like one of, that would be like Isaiah meaning my God is Allah. Like, it doesn't line up at all. So that's how... They, they, they believe Jesus is a prophet. Yeah. yeah they, I thought it was interesting that, like, one of their prophets is literally named my God is Yahweh. So the Jews, Muslims, and Christians are all waiting for the Messiah. Yep. The Muslims are waiting for the 12th Imam, the 12th line of prophet, uh, the 12th prophet to come. The Jews are waiting for Messiah to come. And we're waiting for the return of Christ. I mean, it's a little bit interesting there. And that would take an entire semester to mess around with. But. Well, these other religions have <clears throat> one out of three chance of being right. But unfortunately, well, they're not. <laughs> you know, this whole thing that we're discussing here is um, what Matthew's bringing up. They're, they're called Christophanies. Or the other word is a theophany where God presents himself to man like burning bush kind of thing. That's a theophany, uh, epiphany, if you think of an epiphany. Uh, I've got my eyes open, now you've got a God revealing. Well, a Christophany is Christ being revealed, and I think Matthew's laying out a fairly good case. I believe it as well. But in the end, we don't want to miss the big story, because I think there's other places. And so Christians have argued 
this point, whether or not these are really Christophanies or not. I think the case is, see, as soon as I hear the angel said, I am, I, I, I know those are code words. To yeah. Me. I am. Yeah. I use those words. Yeah. No, that's, no, you're, no, you're exactly right. I'm sorry. That is one that stuck out to me as well. Um, that he, he's used that particular word. And um, Melchizedek, some say. You know, I think Melchizedek fits yeah, the Christophany. Yeah, and- it's in verse 11. I'm sorry. It's in verse 11. I should have brought that one up. When he asked, Manoa asked him, are you the man who spoke to my wife the other day? Yes, he replied, I am. I am. And those are the words that Christ uttered in the Garden of Gethsemane when they said, are you the one we're looking for? And he said, I am. And, you know, a thousand soldiers fell back on the ground when the creator spoke his identity inside his creation. It was like a little, you know, sonic boom. Boom! They all just fell back. I mean, it's in there. It's astounding detail that's in there. Uh, I think it's in John's account. So, so here we see all these good examples of the good guy. But now the good father, realizing who he's been dealing with and what's going on, now... He starts to freak out because now he realizes what's coming because now he realizes I can't see God and live because I'm going to get squashed by this. But then his good wife brings a little reason to his insanity. And what does she say to him in verse 23? But his wife said, if the Lord were going to kill us, he wouldn't have accepted our burnt offering and grain offering. He wouldn't have appeared to us and told us this wonderful thing and done these miracles. So she's already seen the miraculous taking place in this interaction. She, there's no baby yet. There's no baby. She's, she's not holding the baby right now. So the, the miracle has been announced, that miracle. But she's talking about all the stuff that's happened in their interaction is miraculous. The appearance of God in the field. He shows back up and answers the prayer. The sacrifice is accepted. It's burnt. The fire goes up into heaven. The, the, God ascends. I mean, it's overwhelming all the stuff that's going on here. And she's seeing it. This is all miraculous. What's going on? It's a further testimony giving them faith, substance to their faith, to believe in what has just been told them. And that's how the word works. Now, the logic yes. If that were going to happen, Manoa, we would be dead. I mean, yeah. When I was in the hospital with Stacy, she said there are no brain neurologic functions, and my response was, "But she's not dead yet." Her response was, "Yeah, but uh, there are no neurologic functions. It's it's, it's over. We're, we're keeping." But she's not dead yet. Same thing to the homeless guy a few weeks ago. I said, "You know, you should be dead." given his terrible story, but you're not. There's a reason you're not. You need to find it. And it's not to be what you're doing. There's a reason or else you should be dead. Yeah. And, you know, that's a powerful statement. I've said that to people before as well. You know, that uh, they go through some tragedy, a hurricane, a storm, some accident. And it's like, well, why aren't you dead? Have you thought about why you're not dead yet? Why you didn't die? under all the stuff you just described to me, why you weren't crushed when this building collapsed, how you were able to survive with like broken uh, ribs puncturing your lungs for like two weeks. So you got to a hospital. Why is Robert Clifford not dead? dead? I mean, yeah. So the answer is you are preserved today for a purpose. The Hagios, you are set aside for a purpose and a plan of God 
Every day you wake up with breath in your lungs and you open your eyes and you see this world. God has a plan and a purpose for you today. And I submit to your plan and purpose from God for you today is to be God in somebody's life, to bring the word of God to them, to bring the truth of God to them, to be the hands and feet of Jesus to them, to serve and act with them, to show them love, to boldly show them love. In verse 24, when her son was born, she named him Samson, which means Mr. Roy. And and the Lord blessed him as he grew up. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he lived in Mahanadan, which is located between the towns of Zorah and Eshtal. So mom was faithful in her part. The father, Manoah, was faithful in his part. And they were raising up this promise from God. And that's our lives, right? That we receive, God reveals himself to us. We hear his word, it comes to us, and we embrace that word in faith. And then God acts inside of us and he starts changing stuff in us and and making us more like him. The hagias, let's go back to where we started, the set apart thing. So your salvation, your hagias, where you are uh, saved, is not... um, Your, your salvation is part of that hagias being set apart. That's the entry point, all right? Your salvation. Your salvation is an instantaneous transaction in the courts of heaven, all right? Now, your glorification when you are made like Christ is also an instantaneous transaction because it happens when you die, all right? Now, the period between your salvation and your glorification is where we are right now. That's that sanctification period where God has say, I'm setting you apart for a particular purpose to do special things. The same way he called out particular people like Samson, particular judges and prophets in the past. But now he lavishes his spirit upon everyone. He pours his spirit out upon us. And he asks, he calls all of us. He invites us to embrace more than just our salvation. He asks us to embrace our acts of service and being evangelists, of being pastors, being helpers, being teachers, to to bring more people into that salvation. Once this physical experience is over, our time of preparation will come to an end, and then we will enter into the eternal in our glorification, the final aspect, the final completion of our whole salvation process. So, But in between these two events, the salvation and the glorification is where we live right now, and we're set aside for right now. We are set aside for plans and purposes. That verse, Ephesians 2.10, says this. It says that God has prepared special things for you to do, special works just for you that nobody else can do but you because of who you are, what you've experienced, and what you've done, and where you are. They're set aside just for you, and they were set aside by God and planned out before the world was ever started. It's an amazing concept. It's the truth of God. Those are the words of God. And they're coming to you the same way those words came to Manoah and his wife in that field that day. And the choice is, will you embrace those words of God that he has set you apart? He has called you out of his master work to do good works for him beyond your salvation. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you speak to us and give us examples in the past of people who 
embraced your truth and loved your truth and lived your truth. So help us now as we go forward to be bold in our love for others to speak your truth as we have been taught it and told it. And as you give us opportunities to share with people, um, either through giving and doing or speaking or just hugging or loving, whatever it is, God, whatever you're calling us to do for that person in that moment in that life, help us be faithful and obedient to do it so that we can complete the work that you're asking us to do. In the name of Jesus, amen.